This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. At Westminster Seminary, California, our primary mission is to prepare men for pastoral ministry. This has been our primary mission since 1980. We've graduated more than 1,100 students and about 70% of those graduates go on to pastoral ministry. Indeed, some of our earliest graduates have been preaching God's Word, visiting the sick, and meeting with elders for more than 30 years. Zach Keel is one of our graduates. He grew up on a ranch outside of Crawford, Colorado. He's married to Tova, and together they have three covenant children. He's a graduate of Geneva College and Westminster Seminary, California. He's pastor of Escondido Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but he also teaches the English Bible Survey course for us here at Westminster Seminary, California. He's co-author with Mike Brown of Sacred Bond, Covenant Theology Explored. This, with other faculty titles, is available through the bookstore at Westminster Seminary, California, wscal.edu slash bookstore. Hi, Zach, and welcome back to Office Hours. Hello, it's great to be here. How did you discover your vocation to be a minister? There you are in college. Was it there or was it some other time and place that you figured out that you wanted to be a minister? Oh, it was in high school. I grew up in Bible Baptist churches, and I was involved in a youth group. I did the youth Sunday, and my grandma actually had a little Methodist church she went to, and the pastor would call me, and uh, I would preach for him when he was on vacation. So I started preaching in high school and kind of knew that that's what I was supposed to do. So when I went to Geneva College, my degree was biblical studies to um, prepare for seminary. So you figured out really early— Most people don't discover their vocation to ministry that early. What was it that made you know that this is something I need to do? I don't know. Um, You know, I mean, that's not a helpful answer, Jack. (laughs) The listener wants to know because the listener may well be asking himself, you know, I'm thinking about this, but I just don't know whether I should. Well, I think. One thing that the OPC does, and I know the other Reformed denominations do it, is the internship. And really, you have to practice. You have to be active. And internships are a type of apprenticeship where you're being active. And even though we might quibble with some of the things that Baptist churches would do, I got experience doing it. And I got feedback from kids, grandparents, mothers, fathers, and encouragement. So that really then was able to test the call, encourage me, and the Lord then laid it on my heart as this is something I need to do. So there really are two aspects to this sense of call, right? First is the internal sense. This is something I think I need to explore or something I need to do. But then there was the external mm-hmm. uh, in your own setting, right? The church gave you feedback and said, yeah, we agree with you. Yeah, It was funny. I wasn't a reader in high school, but I would read theology. That's when I got turned on to R.C. Sproul and some Ligonier stuff. And I remember reading J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And that chapter on justification really just, I'll never forget it. You know, it's the first time I really learned about justification, double imputation, and it was amazing. So that was kind of the internal call, and that's one reason why I was interested in youth group and being active. And then the external call came through the practice. That book was hugely influential in my own spiritual development. I read it in the summer of 1981. 
In fact, I didn't have a television. All I had was a radio. And I think for a couple of days, I had some time off or something. And I don't remember doing anything but reading that book. I probably read it in 1992 or three. So Yeah, that's a fine book mm-hmm. and recommended for everyone, I think. So you went to college, Geneva College, mm-hmm. Beaver Falls, PA. It's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. And you're essentially on a pre-seminary curriculum. Yeah, well, they had a pre-seminary, but the pre-seminary degree actually didn't have as much languages. So I did the biblical studies, and I got three years of Hebrew, two years of Greek, and then I double majored in philosophy because as I was studying theology, I realized that the background in philosophy would be helpful. And their philosophy program focused on the classics, so Aristotle, Plato, Augustine, and Aquinas. You really came to Sem then with an outstanding foundation, right? Because the curriculum is set up ideally for students to come in knowing Greek and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And of course, that almost never happens, yeah. rarely. But you came really well prepared with Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, it helped me a lot. Uh, so I had a great Hebrew teacher in undergrad, and Byron Curtis was a PCA minister that really shaped my life. So it just, with the other students, it put me ahead of them, and it made me be able to really soak in more of the seminary curriculum. So you were able to do things and study things and read things that other students might not have had time to do simply because they were memorizing their Hebrew paradigms and their Greek paradigms, and you'd already done all that stuff. Exactly. So that really is a big advantage. So if the listener is thinking about seminary and is thinking about coming this way, and we hope that's the case, then if you have an opportunity to learn Greek or Hebrew or both before you come, then you really can take advantage of some things here that otherwise you might not be able to. So what was it about Westminster Seminary, California that made you want to come this way since you're already in Pennsylvania and there were some options? Yeah, so I was going to an OPC there south of Geneva College, and uh, I was encouraged to go to one of the Westminsters. But as I was looking at it at the time, I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't really want to go in to do PhD work. And it was this curriculum that stood out as training pastors. Some of the other curriculums I looked at were more kind of pre-doctor PhD programs. They were more emphasis in that sense. And so um, my wife is from Southern California, so that was probably an element, though my wife loved the back east, so she wasn't interested in coming back, but came out and um, I loved it. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. How did seminary affect you after you got here? I guess I'm asking, as you look back at your time in seminary, how were you different coming out than when you came in? Obviously, you read things that you hadn't read and thought about things you hadn't thought of. But One thing I think that's one of the, I don't know if this gets talked about as much, but I think one of the most important things about seminary is, is it teaches you how to think, how to do research, and how to study on your own. Because really, studying the Bible, preaching, there's so much to learn. And the question is, do you learn the ability to then become, you know, a student for life? Someone who researches and studies Scripture and knows how to think critically, knows how to evaluate resources, knows how to do research at a high quality. And that's something that I learned in undergrad in part, but really started to sink into me in seminary. 
of when you read a commentary, how do you know if it's good? How do you judge them? There's a lot of stuff out there. And from the professors, the lecturers, from the way they did theology, so learning by example, seeing how they thought, how they reasoned, how they were fair with the other sides. You know, we talk about Lutherans and Catholics and Arminians and how they were fair and kind and brotherly and yet would give biblical and theological and historical evidences for why we believe what we believe and defending the confessions and all those sorts of things. So it really made me love God's Word and love to study God's Word and to become a lifelong student of church history, theology, and Scripture. You're listening to Office Hours, and we're talking to Reverend Zach Keel, pastor of Escondido OPC here in town and a graduate of Westminster Seminary, California, about life after seminary, about life as a pastor, and how a seminary equipped him for his life of service. How long have you been a pastor now? Since 2003. I graduated, and uh, the church called me shortly after I graduated. And so this is my 14th going on 15th year. So you have a fair bit of experience now. What do you know now as a pastor that you didn't know when they ordained you? I mean, I had a lot of intern experience, so I learned a lot in my internships. But it's anything. You study in the classroom, and then you get in real life, and you have to adjust, and you have to see how things really work in just everyday life. So, you know, learning to be patient with people, being you know, supportive and listening to your elders, working well with your session, you know, and I think one of the things I learned is how important it is for the pastor to train good elders and deacons. In many ways, a good session, good elders and deacons, they do so much shepherding of the people. And there's more of them, rightfully so, a plurality. And so obviously I'm shepherding the people as much as I can, but the elders will also spend lots of time and to shepherd and help them and to train them to be biblical pastoral elders. And so that's a huge and just such important part of the life of the church. Don't you think that being in a particular setting, too, makes a huge difference? What I mean by that is that when you're in seminary and you go around from church to church and exhort, that you're obviously not in the same setting all the time, and you don't really know the people intimately, personally, but now you're the under-shepherd of a congregation, and these are the people that Christ has entrusted to you. And so, you know, when you're working on a sermon, it's not an abstraction, you know, you're thinking about a text and how it applies in the concrete in this situation. Yeah, you know, in seminary class, I was taught we talk theoretically about application, but I tell interns the best thing for application is pastoral visitation, getting to know your people, hospitality, socially, regular visits, all those, just the life of the church. That's so important to know your people, know what they're going through, uh, know what their family's like, whether it's a teenage girl or it's an 85-year-old widower. And living with them. And you're, you know, as a pastor, you're with them in a sense. As my old friend Don Trike says, you know, ministers hatch, match, and dispatch, mm -hmm. right? We're there at birth and we baptize. We're there when people are married. And then we're there when they leave this life. Mm -hmm. So we are with them through every stage, graduation and bereavement and, you know, God forbid, divorce or whatever it is that they're experiencing in real life. And you're right there in the middle of all that. 
Yeah, I mean, to some extent, once you get called and you buy a house, you make that community yours. And, you know, my kids have been born and raised here. And now the kids that I've baptized, I've brought into communicant membership, are now getting married. And that means that you're getting old, Zach. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But you're getting old with the Mm -hmm. people, right, that God has entrusted to you. Exactly. So that's something that you can't really learn in the classroom is that kind of that almost a marriage that takes place between the minister and the congregation, right? Mm -hmm. I often compare the pastorate to a craft, a craft like woodworking. I grew up doing a lot of those sorts of things. And there's a scientific part to it, theoretical. But so much of it's hands-on practice, learning skill. And that's so much what the pastor is, is you grow with these people, as you live with them in that particular community, as people move and come and join, etc. You really do learn how to love the people that God created and brought to you. And there's a huge diversity in that and learning how to have compassion and um, know them and be with them and minister to them and all that time is quite a privilege. For us as Christians, especially those who actually believe the Reformers got it right, it was nothing short of the recovery of the gospel out of the darkness of the Middle Ages. Mike Horton for Westminster Seminary, California. There's nothing more important than getting the gospel right and getting the gospel out. Judged by those terms, the Reformation was the greatest recovery of Christianity and missionary expansion in the history of the church since the Apostle Paul. The Reformation is important to Westminster Seminary, California, because we purport to be trying to make experts in the Bible. Scripture is our focus here. At the center of the biblical message from Genesis to Revelation is God's redemption of sinners in Christ, the gospel. The Reformation not only clarified that message, but also was a flowering of biblical scholarship. Westminster takes the Reformation seriously only because it takes the scriptures seriously. And the Reformation was one of the greatest recoveries of scripture in the history of the church. We are reformed not because we want to belong to a tribe, but because we believe that this is actually the riches of scripture for the whole church. And it's not something that we possess, but something that possesses us. WSCAL.edu 888 480-8474, Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. You have spent your ministry, it seems to me, just from the outside, and we've visited quite a lot here at Escondido OPC. You've spent a lot of time working in and preaching through the Old Testament Mm -hmm. in particular. I know you're also preaching the New Testament actively as well, but you have a particular passion for preaching the Hebrew Scriptures. Mm -hmm. How has that shaped your ministries? doing the kind of work that you've done. For example, I remember sitting through much of a series you did in Leviticus, and there were some places in Leviticus where I remember thinking and maybe even whispering to uh, Mrs. Clark, I wonder what he's going to do with this. (laughs) And yet, at the end, we were both very edified to see that you had taken us faithfully through the text, and uh, not that it was a lecture, but you had taken us through the text, and you had, in a sense, preached us through the text to Christ, where we didn't feel like you had cheated, that you had really done justice to this particular text, but that you had led us to Christ. Walk us through that process and why that's so important. Well, for me, I mean, I probably started with Hebrew and my love for the language and the Old Testament. As i grown and studied more and been in the pastorate, you know, in one sense, my love for the Old Testament is rooted into kind of Paul himself. Paul grew up in the synagogue, well-educated, 
And that Old Testament foundation is so important to see the depth and the glory of the new. I think a lot of our failure to understand the New Testament arises out of an ignorance of the old. As well as I think, as we confess, that we can preach Christ from all Scripture, and God inspired the whole text. And so I have a commitment that if you work hard, Jeremiah 10 or Leviticus 15, God inspired that unique text. You don't have to change it. You don't have to preach Galatians from Leviticus 15 per se. Granted, they interpret, but Leviticus 15 will preach God's word and Christ will come out of that. And it takes a lot of work, but I think that's the commitment to the promises that God has said. This is my word. It is here for you. So, yeah, I particularly love the Old Testament, and uh, I'm kind of known for preaching the odd books that nobody preaches in the, in the Old Testament. But the more I work and the, the more I'm in it, the more I'm edified. And uh, there's a handful of people in our church that are like, we're here because we showed up and you preached Leviticus and we heard Christ. Mm. And I could testify that you were not pulling rabbits out of hats. You know, you really were working faithfully with the text. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about what you've been doing all these years is that, you know, you're modeling for the whole world to see and hear what we want people to do. And that is, you know, not to preach every part of Scripture, you know, every time, but to preach this text in the light of the rest of Scripture. And as you know, Pastor, preaching is a kind of a death Right. Every week, here is this text in front of you, and you've isolated this passage that this is a self-contained unit. Mm -hmm. And now you come to it and you say, Lord, what does this mean? <laughs> and obviously, you've been working in you know Leviticus or what, Psalms or whatever it is you're doing, and so you have some context, but you have to get to grips with this text. And it can't be what you want it to be. You have to die to what it is. Talk to us a little bit about that process and kind of how that shapes your ministry, that act of dying to the text. Yeah, the metaphor of dying to the text or wrestling with the text spiritually, when in many ways your wrestling with the text is like Job because you overcome by submitting, by really submitting all your own opinions and ideas and saying, Lord, they have to be your thoughts, not my thoughts. And going through the discipline, so there's the academic discipline of that, there's the prayer, there's the meditating and putting the time aside, because sometimes Monday morning you wake up and you look at the text and you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> and somehow by Saturday, you're like, okay, I think I got it, you know. And, uh, and that's important for the listener to know that this is a process that you engage in, that, that this doesn't just happen. I thought it was interesting, the elements that you mentioned, right? Because, you know, there are things that you didn't mention. You have to translate the passage. So you're working through the grammar. And then you mentioned something that's really essential that we don't want to neglect. You have to pray mm -hmm. and you have to meditate so that the crafting of a sermon is a devotional act. So you don't divide the intellectual aspect from the spiritual aspect. Talk to us a little bit about how you keep those things connected. Some students and classmates of mine have struggled with that. To me, it's always come more natural. There's been so many times I'm looking at Hebrew verse, and it'll bring me to tears because all of a sudden I realize something more about God or Christ or what he's doing. And so to me, spending more time with the text makes it come alive in a way that makes it inherently spiritual, inherently touches the heart and the mind, and keeps those together. Your listeners might know, in Hebrew, there's only one word for mind and heart. It's lave or heart. It refers to your mind or cognitive. So they don't have a different word for mind. 
And you can see, to some extent, the kind of head versus heart wasn't really so much, you don't see that in the Hebrew and in the Old Testament. I mean, as you become a student of Scripture and learn more and more, I think you see the unity of that. And it doesn't have to be, I think our modern society has made that bifurcation, which it doesn't have to be there. And I don't think God created us to separate those. And in that sense, your thoughts are bowing the knee and loving, and your loving is thoughtful and mindful. You know, it's emotional, but it's not emotions carried away without thinking, without truth, without reason. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. That's a great account of what I always like to say, and that is pray while you study and study while you pray. I really love that. I think that's an outstanding account, really, of the, as you say, the inherently spiritual process of crafting a sermon. And as you say, Scripture itself in the Hebrew Bible doesn't really distinguish the mind and the heart. So there are dual aspects to the one faculty, Mm -hmm. at least as we look at it from the Old Testament point of view. That's encouraging, and I hope the listener is edified, too, by knowing what his or her pastor is going through. And this is really what we're trying to communicate to our students. You're listening to Office Hours. We're talking to Pastor Zach Keel. He's pastor of Escondido OPC about life in the ministry after graduating from Westminster Seminary, California. One of the things that you do here, because you're on campus and because you have these gifts and abilities that are evident to everyone, is that you teach our English Bible survey. This is a course that our students say they really appreciate because, for one thing, it ties all of Scripture together. How has it been for you teaching this course? How has that affected you? I think it's been a real blessing for me. Um, One of my professors I had said there's two ways to read the Bible. You can read it slow and you can read it fast. (laughs) And a lot of our Bible studies read the Bible so slow And some preaching can go slow, and you lose the context. You lose the forest because you're going through the tree so slow. And preaching can do that. You can move slower in preaching, and there's a benefit to that. But it's also good to read quickly. And when you teach the whole Bible in 13 lectures, two hours, so 26 hours to go from Genesis to Revelation, and I touch on pretty much every book, and I try to reread most of the Bible every year in preparation for the class, you just are making connections, and you're learning the stories and the people and the places and dates that much better. And all of a sudden, I'm going through Luke, and because of something I read in Ezekiel, I'll be like, oh, That's a connection. And I would have never seen it, but I was just talking about Ezekiel in English Bible, and I read it in English, and you're like, oh, yeah, that works. And so there's those kind of connections. And so the discipline of in my sermons, reading slow, and then once a year every spring to read it fast and to bring it together in the great redemptive historical drama from Genesis to Revelation, the way that those kind of go back and nurture each other. You know, in terms of being a student of Scripture, I don't think there's a better way. And so, you know, if I didn't teach the class, I probably wouldn't do that as much. But teaching the class makes me disciplined in doing that, and uh, it's been a tremendous blessing. Coming out of that, then, you also co-wrote with Mike Brown a little introduction, which I think is a fabulous introduction to covenant theology that I recommend to everyone, Sacred Bond. How has thinking about the biblical doctrine of the covenants help you see the unity and the diversity of Scripture? Yeah, to some extent, if, you know, redemptive history is a drama, covenant theology is the main theme. It's what holds it together. And there's a lot of other things going on, but that's kind of a unifying theme. 
And so, you know, covenant theology, it gives you categories, and it really teaches you how to think biblically and helps you just in your everyday life because you're able to put things in categories and understand. You understand what's unique about the Mosaic Covenant and what's similar to the Mosaic with our day. There can be a lot of confusion over that. You read an Old Testament text and you think, does this apply to me? What way? And covenant theology starts to help you on how we relate that to our lives. And so, you know, in confessional Presbyterianism and Reformed Christianity, few things are more foundational than covenant theology. It's one of the key systematic doctrines with the gospel and Christ and the Trinity. One of the things you do as a pastor here and the congregation meets on the campus is that you work with students who are interns, as you were. How has working with interns both affected you, and then how do you try to affect the interns? Um, It's probably made me more patient. (laughs) (laughs) Well, working with seminary students has its sort of sanctifying effect. It does. does. I mean, I think working with students is good for me in one sense because it kind of keeps you young. You know, there's new ideas. I mean, in our own lives, there's things that go on you don't hear about. And a lot of times the young seminarians are like, what do you think about this? And sometimes those issues are really relevant for people in your church and to keep up with certain topics like that. So it's helpful in that way. It's true. Pastors can get a little isolated from what's going on. I know that happened to me. You get so busy doing house visitation and hospital visits and, you know, evangelism and diaconal work. And then not to mention, you know, however many hours a week you're writing sermons and Bible studies that you can kind of lose track of some of the big things that are going on. So that's good. The seminarians keep you kind of connected to some of the discussions that are happening. Yeah, so that's good. Also, you know, seminaries always have questions. Why do you do it this way? And um, we often in church, we just do things because we've always done them that way, and we can do things without a lot of thought, and seminaries are always asking. So it either makes me be more thoughtful about why we do what we do and maybe sometimes change things like, yeah, that's not really the best way to do it. (laughs) Well, that's right. I mean, you think about things, you think, well, actually, I don't know why we do it that way, and that's a good question. So that's good. It keeps things fresh and drives you back to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So that's that's helpful. One of the things I, you know, in terms of the impact I want to have on seminarians, I want them to be faithful, thoughtful, and loving ministers. And you have to develop a certain kind of discipline, character, and strength to do that for the long haul. And so, you know, to me, studying scripture sustains me and my love for it. It helps me go through week after week. You know, you You've just done a funeral, you've been mourning with the family, and then on the next morning you're back studying Ezekiel or whatever, and all of a sudden you read that text, and the text speaks to you in ways it wouldn't have if you hadn't done the funeral the night before, those sorts of things. And so trying to help these students learn to develop that character and discipline for the long haul of good study skills time management to balance family and pastoral things. Because it's so easy. You're always answering the phone and running out on a pastoral call. You forsake yourself, your family, and it's hard on your family. And so I want to protect the intern's wife and children and their future church. Because if the intern washes out, oftentimes who ends up in the ditch? The sheep. And, uh, You know, as it says, you know, the evil one will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so how do you help prepare somebody so they can weather the storms? Not just for their sake, but whoever their congregants will be. 
there's nothing worse than when you hear of a shepherd who went astray and then the church implodes and divides. And all these relatively innocent sheep are now left without a home. They're burnt. They're bitter. And it's sad. It's tragic. And yet when you hear of a guy faithfully ministering for a decade, 15, 20 years, what a blessing it is. And that's my prayer. That's my goal for them. So trying to develop those long-term skills because... Again, you can only do so much in three or four years, but you can lay the groundwork for them to go on and be faithful. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash officehours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.